Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Adam Force. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Well, we're glad to have you. Uh, Adam is a social entrepreneur, a consultant, a digital marketing and client management expert, and he has over 15 years of experience in various marketing backgrounds and in business ownership. He's the founder now most recently and the CEO of Change Creator, Change Creator is a multimedia platform focused on business with purpose, and that's going to be the focus of our show today. And they're also the producers of the Change Creator magazine app, a very interesting app. I just downloaded it a couple of days ago and was playing and reading this content, and the Change Creator podcast. Uh, during his corporate career, uh, Adam created strategies for some of the biggest and largest, I should say, brands in the world. He has also partnered in a legal startup to help people. He ran a social, socially conscious blog and a rainforest protection brand. He wrote guest articles, and he also owned a house music record label. That was his first business venture. And then social entrepreneurship really caught his attention. And as he says, quote, I'm just a crazy guy who wants to help people live better lives by changing our crazy world, end quote. So in today's episode, there's a great quote there, Adam. Uh, today's episode, we're gonna dive into Adam's entrepreneurial journey, how he got to where he has gotten to today in his life. And we'll dive into this whole concept of building a business with passion and purpose, most importantly, purpose. And we'll understand what his perspective is on that. Uh, he used to live in the New York area, but now has moved down to South Florida, which is where I'm from. And so with all of that, Adam Force, welcome to the show. Cool. Thank you so much for the the elaborate intro. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So we were just chatting before we started recording that you moved down to Pembroke Pines. And so that's quite a shift. Did you visit South Florida often or what? what, uh, um, what? Miami, yes, yep. but not South Florida. We, um, My wife and I just had our, our sights set on uh, a warmer climate. And so as she was working towards fellowship, she's a, uh, she's a doctor. Wow. Um, we, <clears throat> we were planning cause you never know where you're going to get accepted. So we were planning to make sure this is where we put a lot of attention. And we also have some family. She does. She has some family here and I have family about three hours, a three hour drive away. So okay. it all worked out pretty good. Yeah. Perfect. Excellent. It's a great, great part of the country to be in. I get down there mm -hmm. often. I still have family down there and I live in the Dallas area, but the thing I miss the most is the beach, obviously. So. Yeah, you know, there's something soothing about it. We always go and visit the beach every couple of weeks just to go out and hang out down there. And I don't know, it's just uh, soothing. Yeah, there is something about looking out over the water. And it's, I don't know, I think most humans respond to that. There is yeah. something about it. Mm -hmm. All right, well, very good. Well, let's let's take back, uh, start back when you were in school. I believe you got a bachelor's in marketing, correct? 
Yeah, we're going real back now. So uh, <laughs> bachelor's in marketing, that is correct. You know, that's during the times of, I don't know what the hell I want to do. And um, I just want to open up as many doors as possible for opportunities. So marketing was what I thought to be the creative outlet. Did you see yourself back there going the, back then going the entrepreneurial route? No. What did you foresee? What did you imagine you would be doing at this point in your life? You know, I don't think I had a vision. Um, I think it was just I'll figure it out when I have to kind of thing. You know, I was a bit of a I was the one of those guys, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I got really into the music thing um, during those years. And so I partnered up with my buddy and we started that business. So we started doing the record label. And at the time it was take whatever job you can get out of college, you know. So I did that. And that was just through connections and family and stuff, which landed me in the um, around the healthcare industry, not pharmaceutical, but uh, healthcare publishing and stuff like that. But you ended up having a pretty successful career there as an account manager and a strategic marketing director or manager. Uh, so account when we say account manager, are we talking about sales or maintaining customer relationships? What were you doing in that role? Yeah, so I had a few jobs. My first one, just so everybody knows, I got fired from. <laughs> not, not, then, not uncommon for entrepreneurs, by the way. And you know, I got to tell you, when they told me I was, I was getting let go, I was like, oh, thank God. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so I moved on to the next thing, and then I left there, and I went to multiple places. Then I got into WebMD, and... Um, you know, I started at account management role, and that was really once there was a, a deal that was sold post sale, I would go ahead and I would manage with the client to make sure that we saw that through. Um, I wore a lot of hats. I, you know, worked there at WebMD for over ten years. Yeah. What when you think back now to that role, what what do you think has been one of the takeaways or some of the takeaways that you still apply to the way you do business now? It's an interesting question, but I think um, what that kind of role when you're just managing clients like every day, like having several client calls and keeping them happy, right? Um, I really had to learn a lot about relationship management. How do you talk to people, keep them off the defensive? Um, how do you keep them calm? You know, because people get angry when things aren't going their way. Um, so I read lots of books like Dale Carnegie's book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I managed the team, you know, around my third or year or so there. And I would have everybody read those books. And so for me, what I apply today is just really um, how to talk to people, how to, um, you know, make friends versus enemies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it helps you get along much faster. Sure. When you, when you think back to when you were first doing it, what were some of the mistakes, especially in having those conversations? I suppose a lot of these were over the phone conversations. What, what, yeah. what are some of those tips that you think back to that you started applying to make those conversations more effective? Um, you know, it's simple things where to make it more effective, it's showing understanding to people. Um, it's also about uh, being prepared with solutions like alternatives if something's not happening. Um, so don't just go there and say this isn't happening. <laughs> you know, it's like this isn't happening, but here's what we can do. Um, or if someone's really worked up, you say, you know what, I understand where you're coming from. And as soon as you do that, you disarm them. If you're saying, well, you know, I'm sorry, they're just going to get more riled up. So it's like any argument, whether it's a client or it's someone else. 
um, you can really the, and, and the more calm you stay like or myself um, the better like it translates to them as well if you get worked up in an argument then they will get worked up too you get defensive they get more defensive so uh, I think stay calm um, show understanding and offer solutions yeah those are great tips and in relationships and even as a small business owner that resonates a lot if you're dealing with a customer complaint for example or an issue or an employee issue. Those are tips that I think that apply. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, the record label alter image recordings, you were doing that while you kept your day job, right? That's right. Okay. And so tell us about that. How, does that, does that when uh, this desire to do something else for yourself came about or was it a hobby that turned into a business? That was a hobby that turned into a business. We were, uh, uh, my buddy and I were really into producing music writing music and also doing the dj thing and we met we met a lot of um pretty well established people in the industry um and so we just decided well if we want to get credibility we got to have a record label we got to write music and all this stuff so we pursued it and we started that business and um we actually did really well i mean we literally were playing gigs with um you know guys like the Swedish House Mafia, like, you know, some of the larger names um, that are around the world, Jimmy Van M and um, all these guys. And even our records uh, that we would produce, they were being played uh, during people's tours and stuff by some pretty big names. So we, we actually did pretty good. We got to a point, though, where it's like, well, we have to make a decision. We cut ties with our day job and we pursue this. And that means traveling the world, South America a lot at first, and then Europe and all those things and playing those shows and making this, you know, our living and, and doing the nightlife hustle basically, um, or, or we don't. And it's not how you see yourself when you're 50 years old. So, you know, for me, it wasn't, I guess I got, as I got older, I was like, I love what I'm doing, but it didn't sit right as this, when I'm 50 and I'm 60, this is what I should be doing. It wasn't, there, you know, so it just didn't click. So I, I had to make a tough decision to stop, which was a very tough decision because I do love doing it. I can imagine it was it was it was something you were passionate about, but you had to make that reality check and realize that it wasn't in alignment. And that ties to a quote that I read online that uh, I found. It says, quote, what will I, you asked yourself, quote, what will I be doing when I'm 50? Would right. I still be going to the office at nine to five? Do I want that? What am I accomplishing? End, end quote. What, where were you when you were asking yourself these questions? What age are we talking about here? Um, let's see. I'm 37 now. Uh, I was probably in my early 30s. Okay. And it was, it was really, I mean, those things float around people's minds, but some people, not so much. You know, it just depends on where you are in your life. And for me, I was getting to these crossroads as I started getting my 30s, right? I'm like, all right, like, really, what am I doing here? Um, am I going down a path where it's going to get me to the, where I want to, the, the person I want to be. And I was asking those questions. Actually, we disconnected. We, you know, I, like I mentioned, I was living in New York and then Philadelphia for six years. So a lot of city life and it's a real hustle. Um, so lots of stress and just chaos and all that stuff. And my wife and I were like, let's get out of here for a while and go somewhere just remote and quiet. So we found this really cool spot out in Costa Rica it was like, it was really, we really disconnected. And um, I was just sitting out there in this really unique place. And it was so quiet and peaceful, wildlife everywhere. It was an almond cove, like where the rainforest meets the beach. And you just can't help but start collecting your thoughts and, you know, thinking about these things. And that's where I really, you know, I know it sounds corny, but that's really where I had this like epiphany where I was like, you know what, 
And I decided uh, that really wasn't for me. And where I wanted to go is I did want to be an entrepreneur. I was like, I need to do my own thing because I think it's a deep yearning for a lot of people who are entrepreneurs to have that freedom, right? To do what you want when you want. Um, but I was even more so interested in doing something more meaningful to me. And I didn't find uh, the other stuff I was doing very meaningful. You know, the corporate gigs and the, the record labels, they were nice, but not meaningful in the way I, I wanted. I'm a real activist at heart, and um, I can be very empathetic towards others and compassionate and stuff. So it just drove me to try and find a way to to do something more fulfilling. And that's where I fell in love with the idea of social entrepreneurship, because to me, that's that's I heard I learned about social entrepreneurship and I was like, this is how business should be approached. Like this is the mindset people should approach business with. And I love the idea of it being about problem solving, but problem solving for something that actually changes someone's lives about impacting lives, you know, or protecting the environment, like doing good that benefits the whole. Yeah. How long was the Costa Rica thing just a vacation or an extended stay? Uh, it was a two week, two okay. weeks stay. Okay. Yeah, but it was enough weeks. to, to gather your thoughts and use it for some soul searching and, and Absolutely. Asking these questions. So what's your answer to the question now as to what you want to be doing when you're 50? Um, my question, the answer to that question is I want to be running Change Creator as a multimedia platform and I want to have, you know, impacted a, you know, a thousand, two thousand different people, not just touch the like, you know, but significantly impact that they have now started businesses that are actually serving a real purpose, you know. I want to help a lot of like the magazine can spread to many, many people, but to really shift someone's career path and really get them off the ground, that's powerful. And it takes a little more depth than the magazine, right? Uh, the magazine is like a toolkit, but then there's a lot of, that comes with like the, the, the mindset and how to like approach things and all that. So I think there's another layer of depth that'll be coming out of change creator for support in those areas. So I see myself running this platform and I see myself doing this because I explored becoming a specific social entrepreneur uh, by definition. And I did things like hemp water bottles and um, rainforest advocacy and all these things for years. I even did a blog, thebluedotpost.com, which was about like conscious news because I had so many things I wanted to talk about. And so um, that actually did pretty good. And finally, I was like, well, I learned about the idea of a digital magazine and based on my skill sets, you know, branding, user experience, stuff I've learned over the years, uh, design, like that was more in line with my skill set. And I was like, well, rather than being the actual social entrepreneur by definition, I could still be uh, impacting people by making social entrepreneurship more popular, yeah. by making it cool because, you know, Honestly, when I look around, I, I was always reading Fast Company and Inc. And when I was trying to, to figure out how what the path was to be a social entrepreneur, there was no information out there. There is no magazine for social entrepreneurship, um, just economic entrepreneurship. There was no courses, no nothing. There are some things today like courses in, in colleges and things like that. It's changed. So for me, they ink, the Inc. magazines and the Fast Companies, they made – economic uh, entrepreneurship very cool very sexy it makes you want to be that kind of that like you know that kind of you know successful person right um, and nobody was out there making social entrepreneurship cool so I wanted to breathe new life into that category by creating a magazine that did that so that's that's kind of where that came from and now for people that want to pursue this angle of entrepreneurship 
um, there's a magazine out there for that too. Yeah, that's great. So a change creator got launched somewhere around end of 2015, correct? That's when you started. Yeah, so I started working on it. Yeah, so the first issue launched in March 2016, I guess end of February, really, I just call it like March 1st. But um, so yeah, have, have it, you transitioned completely to this business? Or are you still doing other things as you transition to this being your primary source of living? Still, I still have uh, additional revenues coming in. I do a little consulting, and I'm still uh, at WebMD doing that work. But I that I'm going to be leaving WebMD in January. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, that's the way a lot of people do it. And then you you touched on it, but obviously a lot of the contacts that you developed when you were doing the blogging have probably somewhat come into play here because you've got multiple writers, obviously creating content for the magazine. So I'm yep. sure that came out of those connections to an extent. Some of it. Yeah. You know, but I had to actually put out queries, uh, where I had to find people with specific skill sets. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, people that have written either for magazines or have written columns or have, um, expertise in social entrepreneurship or they are social entrepreneurs themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, so I did, uh, put out certain job, uh, postings in a sense to qualify people and it helps me just get closer and closer. Cause I really want people who are passionate about the topic. Um, because that comes through in the work. Yeah. So the idea of delivering the magazine as an app, and it's, it's very elo eloquently done and, and very visually appealing, and it, it's, it's a wonderful little app. How did that idea come to you? It was um, during a time when I was still going through my what the heck am I doing, and I had the blogs, Rainforest, all these things I was trying. I was always I always carried a little notebook, which I'm looking at right now still. <laughs> And I would be listening to podcasts and all these things. And I'm, anytime I had a thought, I was like writing down notes. And so when I was listening to a podcast, um, somebody was talking about their success with a digital magazine and all this stuff and how people were asking them for more interviews with social entrepreneurs. And so I'm like, you know what? It's a pretty big market out there. This is something I can wrap my head around. I did a little research. And uh, it just made sense. The market for digital magazines is, um, you know, having good progress at the time and still is today. So I decided to give it a whirl. Yeah, that's great. So how are you making money on this business today? Obviously, there's, if I understood it correctly for the magazine, there's a free issue or free content. Yep. And then I can subscribe. It's a monthly subscription. Is that the primary source of income? And then advertising revenue as well? How does that work? Just the monthly subscriptions now um, haven't explored advertising at the moment. You know, when you start off, especially in the beginning, you obviously don't have a large readership right. uh, you know, audience. So what are you selling, really, unless you just wanted to give it that kind of if you think that gives it some kind of professional appeal. But for me, I wanted to just give straight content um, and just build on that and just use the monthly subscription model. Now, you know, don't be fooled. It is a great way to build credibility, establish yourself and connect with great people. You know, we're going to be kicking off 2017 with Ariana Huffington and we have a lot of other great people lined up already. Um, so it's good for those things. You build your influence and it, it, people like to be on a magazine. So, you know, not that it's easy to get, it took me, it took me since March, 2016, right when I was kicking off, maybe April, I guess, I can't remember exactly when, but till just, I don't know, a month ago that I finally confirmed Ariana Huffington. Yeah. Like it took that long of persistence and going through many, many people. Um, you know, you got to say the right things and all that stuff. So they do, you know, it, those things can happen, but it is, it is difficult. Um, 
Does that take up a lot of your time now is landing those great uh, content providers or guests or interviews? It, you know, it can, um, but I, I start, I just kind of go through a certain, I'll just block, set a block of time and just start getting my thoughts together and fire off emails. Actually, the Ariana thing was random. Like I couldn't sleep one night. I was stressing. Like I was like, I've got to get a bigger name on the magazine because honestly it's tough to get people to trust your brand right sure. and buy they're not gonna spend money in the app store if they don't know who you are and you got what do you got two issues <laughs> published no one cares you know yeah. it's yeah. like okay. so celebrity helps with that right it jump starts celebrity around. helps i don't have to pin that down so i was like you know what i gotta i gotta figure out a way what is my spiel what is my email that i can write i woke up at 2 30 in the morning one time and I just sat there and I did all kinds of like reading and stuff. And then I put together a very thoughtful email and I happened to have Ariana's um, email address because I took a writing course when I was doing that conscious news blog. And um, he gave his black book of contacts to the media industry. And there was a ton from Huffington Post of like editors and stuff and writers. And one of them was also Ariana wow. at the time. <laughs> And so I reached out and you know what, a day later, she got back to me saying, Hey, I'll put you in touch with my communications person. Now, granted that communication person didn't speak to me for about three months, <laughs> yeah, she, <laughs> threw, she threw the gate up pretty quickly, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. You got in there though. She's like, yeah, who are you? Yeah. Why do I care? Yeah, so I'm like, slow down, big boy. <laughs> Well, you know, and my play was really, I mean, people like, you have to find that people have things going on. Like now she has Thrive Global, right? She left Huffington, she's going to Thrive Global. Great opportunity for me to promote that. So it worked out. Um, and you got to have some things like, what are you going to do for them in a sense, right? Do they have a new book coming out? Do they have an event coming up that you could talk about? Um, stuff like that. But my big play, because, you know, at the time when I was having that conversation, I didn't have a huge audience, was more along the lines of, um, Finding people like her that align to our values because she also wrote the forward for um, Getting Beyond Better, who, which was written by Sally Osberg and some other co-author. Sally Osberg is, one, is the, I think, president of uh, Skull Foundation, and Skull Foundation is a very uh, well-established uh, organization that supports and invests in social entrepreneurs. And so she did the forward for that book. So she's very well versed and understands social entrepreneurship. And so here's my angle, right? I'm like, hey, we're doing this and here's why we're doing it. And here's, you know, I think it would be amazing to have you have you as an advocate, um, you know, and then I told here's what we can do for you. And like, you know, I just played that angle to align the cause, right? Versus here's how many people we can reach for you. It was more about, will you support our cause? Yeah, it was a unique approach, I'm sure for her. And that's why she responded in part. So yeah, exactly, great exactly. Story and then if I understand correctly, you're, you're going to be donating 10 percent of those magazine subscriptions with uh, a, a, a water charity that build uh, well. charity water charity yeah, well exactly they build wells uh, all over the world especially in areas where they're needed yes so that segues for me into asking you the question when, when we say business with purpose what does that mean to you how do you define that um well let me actually before i define it how does that how does that hit you how do you define it i think it can mean all kinds of different things and this will be at the heart of this conversation because what I try to reconcile it with is how do you balance that with a business for profit? I think this has yeah. become this whole thing of uh, social entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, uh, whatever that word is, and businesses with a purpose have become fashionable. But yeah. but to some extent, the reality of it is a little different in my experience. But yeah. I can apply it at a very micro level in saying that I'm going to have an impact 
in the people that I touch in my small circle, how I treat my employees, how mm -hmm. I give back to my immediate community. All those things are ways that I might look at it as how I'm having a business sure. with purpose. Sure. Uh, sure. So that's my perspective on it. So the way I look at it is, you know, people are, they sit there and they'll say to themselves, you know, remember we talked about what am I doing when I'm 50? And what happens is if you're an accountant, you're doing finance, you're a financial advisor, great. You might make some good money, but you might sit there and say, am I living my life purpose? Right? Like, what am I doing that actually has purpose in this world? What's my legacy going to be? Um, you know, so I think to me, what it really means is that if, are you going to make a living, um, doing something that gives back? Like, so you can make good money and still protect the environment. You can still, um, you know, help people. So like, do you have real purpose behind your business? Like, are you contributing to making the world a better place? You know, that, that tacky line, make the world a better place, but it's very true. And is that to me, like, I'm not getting more granular or picky about the definition. You know, when they talk about what is a social entrepreneur and, and you know, we are the first magazine app for social entrepreneurship. There has been no others. There's one that just came out now. I just noticed yesterday, but we are the first ones out there. There were no magazines for this. And so it's a good, it's a good way to position so people understand what we're about. Um, and, you know, the technical definition of a social entrepreneur though is, this is by the Skoll Foundation actually, and Ashoka, is somebody that is using entrepreneurial skills to, um, to impact the environment or people, but they're shifting the actual equilibrium of a system, right? So like they're actually changing, and that, that doesn't mean it has to be like a large governmental system or like, you know, really big. There's many different size systems and it comes in all shapes and sizes. So, but it's about actually changing the norm. Like what's the norm based on that system? And if you're gonna actually get to the root cause, you gotta change the system structure so there's a different result. And that's the actual definition of a social entrepreneur. And with Change Creator, we are focused on supporting people who are doing that kind of amazing work. Um, but honestly, at the end of the day, I just want to inspire people to do anything as long as they use their business and they make their living doing something that they are thinking systemically, meaning how does my business imp impact people? How does it impact environment? And am I doing it with a mission to actually solve a problem that will help people or protect the environment, right? So just anything you could do like that to make a difference, I think is a fair statement for giving it purpose. And do you think, as you started with the example at the outset of let's say a CPA, when you went to school, studied accounting, got your CPA certificate, and now you have a practice and you're helping people, let's say, do their taxes or helping small businesses do their taxes. How, and I think I'm with you on the same page on how a person like that, they're not gonna give up that business and run off to some you know, parts of the world to help people. Maybe that's not their passion, but how, how can a business like that, give me a couple more examples of how a business like that can still have purpose and still have an impact? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I guess there's a number of models depending on how you want to approach it. So um, I have to think about the accountant role and what they could do and what model might make sense. But there might be um, just like I'm doing, there could be the model where certain amount of, of their revenues goes towards helping a specific cause. That's that's a way of doing something. So, okay, so, you so know, if that's part of your business model that you do include that as having a business with purpose. In other words, it's an alignment with what your bigger picture of what you want to be your legacy to be or the impact and imprint that you want to leave on this world. 
Yeah, yeah. There's things you probably believe in and you, your values align to. It's about making your work align to those things. So look at like Tom's shoes. You know, they made this model where it's buy one and we give one to someone in need. Uh, Warby Parker, buy one, we give some to someone in need. Uh, Jake Orak, he was inspired when he was in, geez, is it uh, Vietnam, I think? Um, there was a culture that was dying, a culture of people who do handmade uh, artistry, uh, art, like, uh, what do you call it? Um, the word is escaping me. They're artisans, um, and they have this handmade fabrics they make. And so the industry, the big industry corporations were kind of pushing them out. They just didn't need that handmade stuff anymore because they could do it cheaper. But what he did was he's like, you know what? I will sell your fabrics. I'm going to use it for backpacks, iPad covers, all kinds of cool stuff. And now he is selling that and he's keeping their culture alive. So he's impacting them, right? And he's doing that business. Uh, so there's lots of cool things that people do, like uh, Gavin Armstrong. He, um, he, him and a partner made this iron fish. And it's a fish because of a cultural, it's a cultural lucky charm over in Cambodia. And right now around the world, 3.5 billion people have an um, iron deficiency. And Cambodia is the first place they started because it's so bad there. And there's all kinds of health things, uh, health um, symptoms, negative health symptoms that come from iron deficiency. And all he did was come up with this idea with his buddy. And now when they cook with that iron fish, he's eliminating all these problems, these health problems, which obviously saves them money, saves them lots of agony and all kinds of things. So if these models, it just depends on how you're thinking about making a living. There's always ways to do things and find solutions, but you are gonna be going into uncharted territory. And that's kind of why I think social entrepreneurs are so courageous. Um, so, you know, maybe if you have started a business like doing accounting, you didn't approach that to say, I'm solving this major problem that's going on in the world, deforestation, poverty, like whatever it might be, I don't know. Um, but you could still find ways to leverage your process and, and tweak it so that you can do something that's intelligent. Um, look at P&G, Procter & Gamble, major company. Um, I was reading a book from Carol Sanford and you know you would always look at them as these evil corporations and most, a lot of them do very negative things with the environment and they don't care about the people because they're just worried about this bottom line. So they do whatever's cheapest and blah, blah, blah. But they, she went in and worked with them and said, if you just, it's not about, like she said, listen, if you just look at things systemically, which means like this holistic approach, stop having like divisions in your departments. And they had, uh, I forget it was a detergent or something they made. It was like certain chemicals in it and the chemicals were really harming the environment and it was all this terrible stuff. But to them, they were just doing what was best for their bottom line. So she came in because they decided to change that and they became more responsible. And to do it, they had to ha have a systemic approach, which was, all right, so what are we, what kind of, um, you know, ingredients are we using? Where do they come from? And how does it impact people? Where does the waste go? And part of that was also making sure that the departments weren't separated. Everybody was in communication. So long story short, it was really just how you actually think about the approach and set yourself up for success. There's multiple ways to be successful. You just have to actually try and figure out how to make it work. And so Carol Sanford's a great example who has been flipping businesses and they're even more profitable than ever because of now taking this more responsible approach. Yeah, in a longer term view perhaps, but uh, yeah, great, great example and great point. Uh, one thing I think you, you've said, at least I found that online, is, quote, business as usual is no longer an option. But what do you mean by that? What do you mean by business as usual and why you feel it's no longer an option? Explain that, if you would, for me. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll go back and reference what I just talked about with P&G. Business as usual was um, it's more about task efficiency, right? So if I'm going to be task efficient, I will do whatever I can based on how effective and efficient that task is, meaning it's going to cost me less um, and I get it done quicker and it gets out the door. So, you know, if there's if there's byproduct and waste or it's causing deforestation, I don't care about that as long as I'm getting it as cheap as possible and I make a higher profit. That's business as usual. And that's nobody's fault. That's just the way it's culturally been designed. And people have evolved over time to just focus on it because without having a strong bottom line, you don't have a business. Uh, so right now we got to change the way, um, you know, we're, our, we got to rewire our thinking about how to approach business. And that's what we're seeing happening more and more. When we see, oh, you know, these guys are starting to change their, their business model. You got Tom's, you got, you know, Warby Parker, like I mentioned, and all these other people. Yeah, this is, this is going to become more and more common because more and more people are getting, um, they're, they're, they're becoming aware of what's going on around the world thanks to technology. And as your empathy reaches further and further, the question now becomes no longer is what do you want to be when you grow up? It's what problem do you want to solve, right? So it's like the, you're going to see more and more businesses being, it'll become the standard, I guess, is where I'm going. It'll become the standard to say, my business not only doesn't hurt the environment, it helps people, and I have this really cool product, right? So like it's just thinking about things holistically and approaching business. So that would be the, the, the business as usual is task efficiency, profit, bottom line, neglecting everything else. The new way of doing business is what problem am I solving and am I thinking about all my touch points to make sure that I'm not, you know, harming and hurting anything or anyone. Yeah, the challenge with that, though, Adam, is it, it's, it sounds great. It's a, certainly a, a wonderful thought and larger corporations can perhaps do it even better. And there's always, of course, these great examples like Tom's and others. But for me yep. as a small business owner, and the people listening, what we struggle with is how do I do that and still be as profitable as I need to and want to be? And in your experience in working with smaller organizations, are those two things compatible in your experience? Meaning, um, yeah, meaning yeah, driving, driving maximum profits in my business because I depend on it. It's how I make a living. And there's people that are depending on me, my employees, my partners, et cetera and doing something that's good, something with a purpose, a consciousness, a social consciousness. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, my answer is yes. And I think it's a struggle for people because they are really attached to, you know, the previous lines of thought and what we know versus kind of branching into um, exploring what could be. So I would say, yes, it is possible. And you can look at companies like D-Light. D-Light does solar, little solar lamps and all kinds of little gadgets for people. And it goes into, um, you know, other areas of the world where they don't have, you know, the money for electricity and lighting and all that stuff. And they've already reached 65 million people. They've raised funding and have tremendous profits. Um, their funding was over 250, 300 million. So y there's, when you're doing something that one people really need, and it's a good product, then you're gonna find success no matter what. Now, there is a difference in mentality, however, um, oh, and just to add to that, people will be more willing to invest in what you're doing too, not only when you have a good product, but if you actually have a good cause behind it. Um, and I guess the other part of that is, you know, money is, it's important and it has to be part of the business model. 
you can't obviously keep the lights on if it's not. So you have to think about it from the start. And you can look at Dr. Alistair Harris coming out in this issue we have coming this month. And similarly, it's just something that has to be, it supports who you are. And it's not, it's not who you are, it just supports you are. So whatever you're doing, it's gonna amplify that. And so if you have a mission, like Dr. Alistair Harris, who's helping people in Madagascar, um, he's a marine biologist and he's doing just amazing work out there and he's a social entrepreneur awardee. He wanted nothing to do with running a business, but he had to because in order to ad address the problems in the ocean out there with the fisheries, he had to do something, he needed money to do it. And then he had to actually do something for the people at the same time because now they couldn't go fishing and feed their families. Uh, long story short, he made a business, he made it, built it into his business model, ecotourism. Um, so he had to get creative, innovative, come up with a solution. So long story short, there's always a way uh, that you can do it, but it's, it's about having a mission and building a model where money supports the mission versus money becoming the mission. So in the last issue of, of your magazine, there was an article by Tim, I'm going to mispronounce his last name, but I'm going to try. It's Kar Karsliev. Karsliev. And the quote is this, quote, making an impact simply means respecting others and regarding their needs. It stood out to me because I loved that simple definition of it. And as we've been talking about this, how do I apply that to my small business, especially if it's something like a CPA practice or whatever I might yeah. be. And, and I think it really is, it depends on your business and the impact that you have. I think you can apply this approach of social consciousness of business with a purpose, even at your micro level. It doesn't have to be that you're giving away free shoes to people in South America. No, no. It, that's great if that's part of your business, but there are different ways to, I think, accomplish the same thing as what you've been sharing. Yeah, and like, for example, there's a guy, Yannick Silver. I just had a phone call with him earlier today. Super, super great guy, um, you know, expert marketer and entrepreneur, very successful. He had his moment where, you know, he's got all the money in the world, but he just wasn't really happy yet, um, just not fulfilled, right? You can't buy fulfillment, it just doesn't work. Tony Robbins will tell you the same thing. Um, and, you know, he decided he's going on the same path. He's like this whole idea of changing uh, how business is played, right? Um, it could still be successful, still work, but we've got to tweak the way we approach it and the way we think about it. And in his latest book, it's called Evolved Enterprise. Um, this is a guy that goes out on, you know, like trips all the time with uh, Tony Hawk, Richard Branson, you know, all these guys. And he wrote in his book, these models, he puts, I forget if it's like 10, 11, 15 different models that can be leveraged that we know of today. That doesn't mean there can't be different uh, new ones that people can apply when they're thinking about the kind of business they want to operate. And they're all just, you know, these conscious approaches that connect, you know, you got to make your money, you've got to, um, you know, you want to have purpose behind it, a sense of fulfillment. He like, he has this like little diagram that shows like these three pillars that kind of work together and he helps giving people ideas on you know how they might start thinking about it and the first step really a lot of the times is take self-inventory uh, i have this in a, a free uh, book on our on our website you take inventory of yourself and that's the first thing i did was what are my values like who am i what am i trying to do who do i want to be and once you start identifying those things, you got to understand why do you want to even do a, a business for yourself? And then you start looking at what are you good at? And then you got to align all your skills to your values and you start getting an idea. Oh, well, maybe I should be doing this. 
And now you're going to be really serving a purpose, right? Because you're going to do something that aligns to your values. You're going to do something that aligns to your skills. And so if you're an accountant and you're doing those things, well, maybe you can find a way to, to work something into your model. Or maybe you start doing something else that might be more in line with like what you really believe in, unless you just really love accounting. Yeah, or, or, <laughs> yeah. or it could be as simple as my passion is helping others run their business as well or start their business. And I offer free services for those people who can't afford it. Exactly. Or, or I volunteer exactly. my time. You know, there's different exactly. ways to do it at a local level, right? I love that. Exactly. Exactly. See, everybody can come up with their own creative way, but it's about just getting in the mindset. Yeah. So uh, you would consider yourself a millennial, right? If I got the dates right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think I yeah. fit into that. Understanding millennials being one yourself, why is social entrepreneurship of uh, such interest and appeal to millennials? Well, if you look at like Pew and Nielsen data, um, Deloitte, um, they are, I, I think they're getting more and more interested in, there's a couple priorities for them. One is actually money and more so because they're afraid that they're not going to be able to make it to retirement because they have school debt, they can't find jobs and they're, they're stressed and nervous about that. So money becomes a, a priority. However, the next thing, and, and that's not for all age groups, Generation Z, family is the top priority. Um, but you know, it's, it's money, family and meaning. There's discussions of how you know, a, a millennial would rather take a job that pays less but aligns to their values and gives them a sense of meaning in, in life, right? And I think that what's happening is, as technology, as I mentioned before, the internet and all these things that are happening, it, it's allowing us to see what's going on around the world. And this is just my, this is just a theory. This is, so as people see what's going on around the world, obviously it was originally just in what's around you. Now with the internet, I can see everything. And you're, we as human beings have this thing called empathy and it reaches further and further. And when you see what's going on, you either get frustrated, um, you're sad about it, and you start getting compelled to say, I want to do something to to help. Like people like to help people, right? Um, and I think it's driving more and more of these. As you see, the younger generations who are more into growing up with technology, they are more inclined to feel this way. And the the data is showing that too. So I think that might be playing a role in it. Um, I think there's just a lot of crises around the world. Like we're 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 doing well with certain things, but there's a lot of problems. You know. I, I think you touch on something very insightful. <laughs> I, I think it's not that there's any more crisis now. It's just that it's much more accessible. When I was a kid, my my little world was the you know the few blocks realm that I was allowed mm. to uh, cover in my bicycle. I didn't have access to this thing called the internet because it didn't exist. I didn't watch much of the news that's now pervasive on television, so I wasn't exposed to it. And I think you're touching on a key thing. Your generation now has grown up in a world where you have access and you know about all these things vividly on a daily basis, and it's impacting you in a very different way. That's right. That's right. So another quote uh, from the magazine, this was by uh, Chris Clayton. Uh, oh, yeah. quote, quote, we don't just have one passion in life. Values change, experiences come, new passions surface, end quote. I loved that quote in particular to what we've been talking about. What I'd like you to think about for a moment is to that business, we've been using the example of a CPA, but let's say I own a restaurant. And yeah. because our passions and our, we become aware of these things and our values change over time. And we touched on some of these examples, but what's, what do you say to that person who all of a sudden has 
that epiphany moment that you had and they realize this business isn't in alignment directly with what I want to do. What, what What's your thoughts for that person? My thoughts are that's that's fine. That's great. It's great that you are acknowledging it and you're willing to, you know, accept that. A lot of people, you know, they if they're uncertain, they just hang on to things because they might be comfortable. Um, so if you have, you know, and I notice like 80% of people I interview, it's it's because of a travel experience. Um, but you know, change is good. I always embrace change. I think that I would probably tell them, you know, take the right steps and take calculated risks. But you know, like I mentioned earlier, you would take like a self inventory and just start really exploring yourself. Uh, what do you want out of life? And start defining that and start creating a vision. I think it's so like incredibly important to have a vision of like who you want to be. Um, without that, it's kind of like playing darts without a dartboard. So I think it's important to get clarity. And I know a lot of people, uh, Leonard Kim, uh, Yannick Silver, these guys, once they had those epiphanies where they're like, I don't know what I want to do, but I know I need some more like meaning in my life and I have to figure out how to get there. They started writing um, like journal, right? and just writing their thoughts. Like Leonard Kim was on Quora actually, and he would just start spilling his guts out there. And he built his own brand, personal brand because of it. He got so recognized based on his authentic uh, writing about just what's going on in his life and what he's trying to do and all these things. Long story short, I guess what I'm getting at is it's something about taking a look at inside about who you are, what you want out of this life, what you want to to do every day. And I always talk about like the Christmas Eve effect, which is, you know, like when I was a kid and it's Christmas Eve, I couldn't sleep at night because I was so excited about what's going to happen the next day. And when you're doing something that you're really into and it aligns with who you are, you should feel that way when you're doing your work. Um, and it's not even work anymore. It's just you're just living because you're just living what you should be doing. And, and honestly, if I tell somebody about change creator and what it's all about, someone's like, oh, that's so you like that is just it's a perfect, you know what I mean? Like it's because because and it took me a while to figure it out. Let's be fair, guys. Like it took me four years maybe to to work my way to it, doing all kinds of other crap. Right. It just it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time and you have to actually put the time in and the effort to to let yourself evolve because you we all have to go through personal growth process. So. I guess with that being said, it's start writing your thoughts down, uh, um, understand like what your values are, take a real serious inventory of your, your skills and all those things. And then you just got to keep listening to podcasts, keep reading, and you'll start getting more and more ideas and things will start to click. But don't get paralyzed in the sense that if you don't know what you want to do, that you don't do anything. Um, if you like several things and you don't know which one to pick, I would highly, highly, highly recommend just pick one and start and you're better off finding out later that it's not the right choice and then you could cross it off your list and you go to the next one. So just whatever you do, don't stall and do nothing. Yeah, I love that. Great advice. So to that point, Adam, what what is it that you do specifically today, like in a given day, for example, that you love the most right now? Um, it's the small wins, <laughs> you know, um, like I wake up every day around four thirty, five o'clock and I start checking all my emails and I see what's come in. I, I'm always excited to open up my email and be like, Ooh, who got back to me? Any, any good interviews, any partnerships, you know, like 
I, I'm always – then that day I'll send out several more uh, emails based on whatever my strategy is or my goals for the day. And then you get the next – so I always like to see what's developing. It's like getting the newspaper, <laughs> you know? Yeah, or and, Christmas you know, morning for that matter. Right. Like I, I did a – I reached out to Tony Robbins. Like once I got Neil Patel on the magazine, <laughs> I was more confident. And I was like, all right, I got Neil Patel and I – kind of at the time had Ariana Huffington. <laughs> um, there was some still hesitation there, but I, I leveraged these names and I reached out to Tony Robbins. I was just like on this role where I was like, you know, let's just give it a shot. Let's just see what happens. Like he's never going to get back to me. And you know, two months go by. I've never heard a word. Totally forgot about it. I wake up in the morning and what do I see? There's this email in my inbox name. I have not recognized And I know I didn't reach out to this person, this woman. And I open it up and it's like, the, one of the communications directors from Tony Robbins team. And she's like, you know what? We might be interested in doing something with your magazine. And I was like, okay, I'll take that. And um, we had several emails. Then they put me over to like their other communications person who was even higher up. She asked me all these questions and I had to answer stuff. And I actually, my response, I literally put this really thoughtful response because I was like, all right, you cannot screw this up. This is like, the, this is the email that counts the most. And um, I worked on it with one of my writers and then I sent it around my family and got like everyone's like perspective. And I was like, how does it, you know? And, and so got it all put together. Long story short, as I keep saying, <laughs> um, they, I locked in Tony Robbins and we're going to be doing a release with him in March, Fantastic. 2017. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I can see where that's that's the uh, you, you just love that that next challenge, that next opportunity, yeah. That yeah. next opportunity to connect with someone that you has that has a similar passion or a related passion. That's what you lived for. And that's what you live for on a daily basis. It is the conversations that I have with all these entrepreneurs that are doing like I find it so inspiring. It's kind of like, you know what they say, surround yourself with the people that you want to be like. And, you know, as I, I'm surrounding myself now with all these social entrepreneurs and like marketing experts and people like yourself and, you know, that are in the business, they have the entrepreneurial fire lit in their stomach. But they also have these perspectives about you know, they share my values and all these things. So for me, it constantly lifts me up. And what I really look forward to is in 2017, as we get more established and we get a bigger audience, I want to really see how the magazine and the next things that we do start actually helping people. Like I know we have a lot of great content we put our blood, sweat and tears into building these magazines. And in 2017, we're going to see some great um, d updates to our flow of content and design and things like that. Um, and I think it's just something that's going to evolve. It takes a while. So anyone thinking about doing a digital magazine, a lot of work and it takes, you better be ready to invest in, you know, eight to 10 issues before you really start, you know, getting, high readership really yeah, yeah i can believe that and exciting stuff to come so that's fantastic yeah. all right we've talked about books i guess obviously we're, we're both book lovers you've mentioned how to win yeah, friends yeah. and influence people you've mentioned getting beyond better and you mentioned evolved enterprise is there any other book that comes to mind that you would recommend to our listeners i'll recommend two i mean i got so many on my list it depends on what we're trying to accomplish <laughs> right um, so listen, for people who are out there, entrepreneurs that are trying to figure out how do I get distribution? How do I start getting the word out? Um, it's really worthwhile to check out these two books, Traction um, by um, Gabriel Weinberg. And there's someone else, I forget the other person's name. Um, and so Traction is a great book. You want to check that out. 
And then also Growth Hacker Marketing, and that is by Ryan Holiday. He's good friends with people like Sean Ellis and has worked with Tim Ferriss and doing some really cool creative marketing there. Uh, so those offer a lot of inspiration and talk about the kind of mindset you want to have for modern marketing today. Uh, I'll make mention of one more, which is um, very different, and that is T. Harv Ecker, uh, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. And it's interesting because, you know, I'm not I, – I used to be the guy that was like, oh, hate money it's the root of all evil and <laughs> this book changed my changed everything for me because you know I was like the activist guy seeing all the bad things happen and I always know it's based on these these the horrible idea of like greed and but not everybody's like that and money could be a very very good thing and it is a mindset so this book will actually talk about your blueprint based on how you grew up who you who your parents were how they talked about money how they handled money and all those conditions that kind of shaped your thinking so now you have this blueprint this guy is like, listen, I can talk to you for five minutes. I will tell you how much money you make in your life. I would, you know, like I will know. And he's like, as long as you can understand how you got where you are, like how you got that blueprint and why you make the money you make now, you could start taking the right steps to uh, kind of rejigger that and rewire how you think about it and create new habits. Um, so it's really not just about making money. It's about how do you think about these things? And it becomes more of a a deeper kind of like philosophical book in a sense, but super powerful. Ever since I read it, I've changed the way I approached money and uh, we have a lot more of it because of that. <laughs> That's for great. sure. Great. It's so a great diverse recommendation of books there. We'll have links to all of those on the show notes page for this episode. So we'll wrap it up with the last two questions. Just uh, sure. briefly, your last thought uh, piece of advice for our audience. Oh, last thought piece of advice. Let me think about that. I guess um, I think it's to me the most important thing is to really figure out who you want to be. Um, you know, that's why I put it on my my site is like ask yourself those important questions. Where do I want to be in 10 years? Who is the person I want to be? Like what kind of legacy do I want to have? Um, and once you start really getting that vision, don't be afraid. Don't feel corny. Like write it down. Like if you want to say where am I in five years, write down what your day is like five years from now, like in that present moment, do things like that because you start making it real. You start manifesting these things. And I think you have to really just take a closer look at, um, you know, that your values and things like that, because if you are interested in pursuing a business, um, there's a lot of good things you can do. And, and there's nothing more motivating than running a business every day that aligns to who you are. Great stuff. Adam, this has been an interesting, insightful conversation. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today and uh, sharing your knowledge with us. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Always enjoy a good chat like this. Absolutely. Folks, this is Henry Lopez, and you've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.